On R2C2, CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco guide listeners through everything going on in the MLB, NBA, and NFL. They also talk to friends, athletes, and celebrities about the world of sports and much more. Check out R2C2 with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. Coming up on New York, New York. I don't even know where to begin with the Yankees. I really don't know where to begin. There's going to be a lot of yelling. There's going to be a lot of screaming. There's going to be a lot of frustration. And something's got to give after this embarrassment of a week. There was actually some good news in New York sports, though. The Nets win game one. We'll see how they adjust without James Horton. The Mets find a way to get a split in San Diego. And how about the Islanders? So we got all that good stuff to get to. Rob Perez of FanDuel Worldwide Wob is going to join us. And yeah, a whole lot of Yankee misery. New York, New York, presented by our friends over at FanDuel. It's coming up next. Let's roll, baby. Welcome in. New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm sick to my fucking stomach, okay? Let's start right there. I'm sick! How can you not be if you root for the New York Yankees? I wish I could have gone out there and showed a little fight. Showed a little effort. Yelled and screamed a little bit. Couldn't have been worse than what we saw on the ball field over the last three days. What an embarrassment. What an absolute embarrassment. In what is supposed to be the biggest week of the year. Biggest week of the year. Two and five against Tampa and Boston. Swept by the Boston Red Sox. I think think the Yankees just struck out again. Oh no, I think they actually just grounded into another double play. Well, maybe I got to pull out the Aaron Boone bingo card and hear about how great the at-bats were. Honest question for the Yankees and their brain trust that I love, that I adore. I, I, I support them through and through. How do you not make a change after this weekend in some capacity? Biggest week of the year, most important games of the year, you slip sliding away to quote, Paul Simon, going back to the days of the AL East being like a foregone conclusion. Remember I heard that? Back in April? Foregone conclusion? This team's going to be lucky to make the playoffs. Right now, they're not anywhere close to the playoffs. And where's the fight? Where's the urgency? Oh, we're close. We're trying. We're getting better. Bullshit. You stink. That's the harsh truth. 
You're a bad baseball team right now. Whether it's giving up three runs in the first inning on Friday night, and I had to sit through that joke of a game. King is cruising after the first inning. Manager yanks him out of the game. Right on cue, Boston scores a couple of runs. Saturday, I tried giving you guys a little JMO for JJ. Prop didn't hit. It was worth the try. Tyon did his job. Yankees had a lead. And Boone can't let a starter fight through any sort of adversity. Zero. It's got to go to that bullpen. And you see them implode. And you see the Yankees not make plays in the field. And not get the big hit. Over and over and over again. And then Sunday. A couple of things here from Sunday's game. That are driving me absolutely insane. If you couldn't tell already. Number one. Domingo Herman is cruising. He is in complete control after giving up a first inning Alex Verdugo home run. Why are we at the point where we're itching, scratching, clawing to get Lucas Litke in the game? Give me a break. Let the starter cook for goodness sakes. That's one. Then you get to the ninth inning. Got awful call on Odor. Yankees tie the game. Glaber hits the double. Verdugo boots the ball. Was clearly ball four. Was in the other batter's box. If you're Aaron Boone, how are you letting Phil Nevin with an IV and Carlos Mendoza be the guys getting tossed out of the game? How is your ass not in front of the umpire spitting, yelling, screaming, saying everything known to men? In that spot where his team is, we talk about optics all the time. That is a hideous, hideous optic. For a guy who looks like he has absolutely no feel and no pulse for his baseball team, whose baseball team, might I add, has directly taken on his laissez-faire personality. Because that's the effort you're getting from the Yankees on the field. And please, for anybody who wants to lecture me, on, oh, JJ, manager doesn't mean that much. It's not worth that much. Oh, really? Oh, really? Go look at the Boston Red Sox. The Boston Red Sox were a corpse of a baseball team last year. They stunk. They were the worst team, basically, in the American League. Alex Cora was suspended for the entire year. Couldn't manage the team. Cora comes back. Yeah, I know they added Kike Hernandez and they added Marlon Gonzalez, two grinder type players. Who might I add would have fit in pretty nicely with the Yankees? Either one of those guys. Just saying. Either one of those guys would have looked good in Yankee pinstripes. Nevertheless, nevertheless, it's not Kike Hernandez or Marlon Gonzalez that has propelled the Boston Red Sox to 11 games over 500. No. But it's the manager whose presence has changed the entire feel of that team. And I know the Yankees are not going to do this. If you listen to this podcast on Monday morning, if you listen listening on Monday afternoon, if you listen listening on Tuesday morning, I guarantee you're not going to get news that the Yankees have made a managerial change. They're not going to do it. They're too arrogant. They're unwilling to accept what is wrong with their baseball team. But if this guy ran the team, John Jastrzemski owned the New York Yankees, 
Buck Showalter would be in that dugout on Tuesday. That is a fact. And I don't want to hear, oh, Buck, his age, he wouldn't take the job. That's nonsense. Buck has interviewed for jobs. Buck wants to manage again. And you're telling me, Buck, after what happened to him after 1995, wouldn't love every second of the idea of coming back to the organization where it all began? Buck would take the Yankee job in a nanosecond. And let me make this clear. Aaron Boone is not the only reason the Yankees stink. This is a flawed roster. Players are underperforming. He's not the only culprit here. But I can't change all of the players right now. I know that. Aaron Boone's in the last year of his contract. And let's be honest. If you're betting on Aaron Boone coming back next year, you're either betting on a massive turnaround or just flat-out complacency from the Yankees where they just don't care. Because there's no way you could ever in a million years try and sell me on the fact that this guy should be back managing this team next year. I mean, they were favorites to win the World Series in the American League, for goodness sakes. Favorites! You probably could get them at plus 250 or plus 300 to win uh, to make the playoffs. They're awful. They're absolutely awful. Two plus months into the year. This is the sort of change I'm looking for. And I know they play some bad teams and maybe they'll win some games, but I need action now. If I run a team, I would need action. The Yankees will never do this. I'm well aware they will never do this. Buck Showalter being in this dugout on Tuesday would be the best thing that could happen to this team because it's a massive upgrade and it's exactly the sort of kicking the ass the players need as a whole. I mean, Aaron Judge after the game, he can't even like answer questions without giving me a cliche. How about a little blunt honesty, bro? I love you, dude. I love you, Aaron Judge. A little blunt honesty in the situation. Own it. We suck. You know how much the fan base would love to hear that from somebody? I remember Luke Voigt did this last year when the Yankees were in a funk. And I heard this. I was like, this is great. This is exactly what I'm feeling. Spare me the cliche nonsense. I don't need it. I don't need it. Do we have the wonderful manager? Oh, this should be great. Uh, we should pull out the, um, the card of we tried hard. It's coming. Uh, what Boone cliches are we going to hear? Please, uh, let's hear the Yankee manager. Aaron, just at the end of a three-game sweep here with, a, with an off day tomorrow, how do you assess where your team's at right now, just uh, generally speaking? Yeah, I mean, an awful week for us, culminating in, in, in the end of this homestand. Um, and we got to get, we got to get right. We got to get better. And, get better. um, that's one, you know, it, it starts now on the road as, as we head to Minnesota. Um, you know, a lot of good things happen tonight. Oh um, my God. Good day. You know, able to put good some pressure things. on them early, build a little bit of a lead. Domingo threw the ball. Well, um, you know, and then they held us down for a while. Pitches, a lot though. of big at bats late. Don't forget about um, that. but we gotta, you know, we gotta find a way to start scratching out some W's. You've expressed a lot of confidence in your guys throughout the season. At this point, what what is it that you've seen from them that gives you this confidence? Is it their historic success? That's or a big part of That's obviously a big part of it. Um, you know, I, I see the work they're putting in. I see the adjustments certain guys are, are making. Oh, they're really um, making great You know, I feel like I, I'm seeing, great especially 
uh, with a number of guys, the quality of contact and the at bat quality picking up, especially this, you know, last week where we're seeing some guys gain some traction. Uh, you know, now we got to get everyone involved though, because, you know, for our lineup to be heavy, it's got to be uh, one that wears you down, and, and that takes everyone doing a part. You guys are, I think, six and a half back now in the East and uh, fourth place in the East. And Is it too early to say that you guys are in a backs against the wall position? Look, I mean, there's urgency, but we, 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 we're we in control of our season and our destiny very much so. And, um, and, and we got to take control of it. Can somebody ask Aaron Boone a tough question other than Zach Brazilla? In all seriousness, can somebody ask the Yankee manager a tough question? There was not one tough question I heard in that session. ZB put him on the spot, give him credit. He's our guy. He's all over it. Not one tough question, Aaron Boone. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. I'm sorry. I get it. You deal with the guy every day. He's a likable dude. It's about results. I, 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 I need results from the manager, from, from the team, you name it. Can I get a tough question or two after the game? I mean, holy moly. Holy moly. Yankees at 9 and 18. Let this sink in for a minute. 9 and 18 against the American League East this year. Oh, but the process is good. We're close. Real close. After getting swept by the Tigers, you follow that up going 2-5 and five against Tampa and Boston. Boston and the Yankees look like two teams headed in a complete different direction. And I'm glad that we haven't uh, discussed the terms of that Yankee-Red Sox bet. I'll be a man of honor. I'll pay it up. I'll send Simmons some good pizza. I mean, I don't even think the Red Sox are that good. I just think the Yankees are a total mess. They're a nightmare. They need change. And my message to the owner would be this. Simply put, after watching what you saw against Tampa and the Red Sox this weekend, doesn't prompt you to make some sort of change on the off day. Explain to me what will. Ugly, ugly, ugly stuff. All right. I'm going to try to calm down a little bit. Let's take a call. Rudy, who do we got to lead it off? I don't know if that's going to calm me down, but let's let's take a call start it off. JJ, Keith from Stone, Connecticut. Usually, my friend, I'm calling you about UConn basketball. But tonight, I have to talk to you about our Yankees. Man, this is crazy. How long does this go on with the same bullshit? Marcus Payne, like, hitting coach. I know hitting coaches don't matter. I know you don't think they matter. But isn't there, like, a thing about the arrogance of the Yankees that say, hey, we got this. It's fine. We're not firing hitting coaches. We're not doing – we're not changing the course because we know everything. Guess what? They don't. The lineup sucks. Everything they do is terrible. The manager, the GM, everything's on the table. 22 years. Of Cashman, he's done some great, great things. Gio is my favorite player. But, I mean, come on, JJ. There's got to be something that changes. Some approach, this analytic stuff, yes, use it. But you know what? It's not the end-all, be-all. 
Oh, I'm sorry, man. It just it drives me crazy. I'll talk to you. Love you. Been listening. We'll continue to listen. You're doing great, and take care, man. Keith, God bless you, buddy. Something does have to change for the New York Yankees. You're absolutely right that they're arrogant. You're absolutely right that they're stuck in their ways. I don't expect anything to change on Monday or on Tuesday, but it absolutely should. It absolutely should. I mean, after what you saw this week, and now the Yankees, you look at the standings, it's getting closer and closer to the middle of June. It is no longer where it's like April the 30th. The Yankees right now, to put in some perspective, six back of Boston in the loss column. Six back of Tampa in the loss column. Nine and 18 against the American League East. This is supposed to be the favorite? This is supposed to be your king? Get out of here. Something's got to change. Something's got to give. Yeah, let's do some more Yankee voicemails. I like that. I was going to save them for later, but we got more Yankee voicemails. Let's get, let's get them out of the way right now. Well, I got all this off my chest. Let's get them out of the way now. I totally agree. Who's up next? JJ, Justin in Miami. Love the pod. Love your rant on the Yankees. To me, it's not even about one World Series since 2000, no World Series since 2009. It's one division title since 2012. That's the same amount as the Baltimore Orioles. The playoffs may be a crapshoot, but the regular season isn't. And Cashman has delivered one division title in the last 10 years. He's not getting it done. Keep up the good work, man. Just love to hear your take on it. I have always been an adamant supporter of Brian Cashman. He's made some great moves over the years. I think one of our callers, Keith, hit on that just a moment ago. Urshela was a great find. Luke Voigt was a great find. The Glaber-Chapman move with the Cubbies was brilliant stuff. Keeping the team competitive so they didn't have to go through a rebuild was super impressive. Here's the problem. They have regressed ever since the end of the 2017 season. 18, not as good. 19, good year. A lot of good things happened to the Yankees. The last two years, Garrett Cole was supposed to be the missing piece to put them over the top. Remember when that was the conversation, 2019 and the 2020, that Garrett Cole coming in would be the missing ingredient to take this Yankee team and put them over the top. Every single one of the young players on this team, with the exception of Aaron Judge, I guess, they've not gotten better under the tutelage and guidance of Aaron Boone. They've got to take a hit for that. Managers got to take a hit for that. The fact that the team is so fundamentally flawed, the base running, the defense. I know it's about the players. It's always about the players. Can't change all the players in the middle of a year. I hate the old adage if George was alive, because listen, he's not. It's revisionist history. You're telling me the Yankees wouldn't have made a change, though? After this week? Oh, my God. Heads would have been rolling. Tampa and then the Red Sox? Different world, though. Who's up next? Hey, what up, JJ? This is Eric from uh, Syracuse, New York, one of the county Yankee fans from your college town. Um, just uh, This is a 6-10 on Sunday, so this is before the Yankee-Red Sox game. And remember how when they sat Stanton earlier this week in Tampa, Boone was like, oh, no, no, we're doing it because so we can play all three games against Boston. Well, I just looked at the lineup, and guess who's not playing? Stanton is out of it. Judge is being DH. Uh, 
I mean, it's obvious at this point, but I just have now – I don't even bother. I don't listen to what Boone says anymore because he's either a puppet or he's a liar or he's just an, an idiot. One of those – one or all three of those. But, uh, yeah, so I'm calling before, before the game. So, hey, maybe they'll pull one out, but I have zero confidence. So, see you later. Bye. Eric, it's an excellent point about John Carlos Stanton. I tweeted this out on Tuesday when he was out of the lineup. Then he's out of the lineup on Thursday against Tampa. I'm laughing when I see the Yankee lineup. I'm not tweeting about it anymore because it's, it's a waste of my breath. It's a waste of my time. The, the Yankees got to give Stanton load management like he's Kawhi Leonard in the NBA. And their excuse was his body is not built up to where it needs to be. Well, then why doesn't he go on a rehab assignment before he comes back? And gets a lot of these at-bats out of his system. And plays four or five days in a row. And then comes back to the big club. That's what practical organizations would do. I, 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 don't, I don't get that from a Yankee standpoint. And Stanton, since he's come off the IL, has been an automatic out. I mean, the guy has not hit at all. Automatic out. That hot streak he was on back in late April, early May, feels like another lifetime ago. You'll never get me to defend that Stanton move. Because you look back on it, he's a DH, he's a flawed player, he's talented. When he's going good, he's going real good. But when he's going bad, he goes real bad. And he's not a complete player. He can't play the field. He's killed their roster and their financial flexibility. What Yankee fan, if they could do it again, would want Stanton on this team, even though you got him for nothing. Nobody. Two to go. Who's up next? JJ, it's Anthony in Syosset. It's five in the morning. I'm on my way out east to play some golf. I just left you a rant on the Yankees. It was too long. I got cut off. I'll try to keep this one short and sweet. Okay? Listen, we've said it about Cashman before, that it's a dangerous precedent that the ownership group has set where they put him in a position where he knows, regardless of the decisions he makes, whether they're right or wrong, his job is safe. So he's making decisions without the, the possibility of him being fired. Okay? And there's no accountability. Accountability being the key word. That is the position now that this manager has put the players in. Okay? Boone, to me, had a cup of coffee with the Yankees as a players, as a player and walked into one of the great moments in Yankee franchise history. But other than that, J.J., he's not been a good manager. I won't call him terrible, but he's not been a good manager. And I won't go over the failures of 18, 19, and 20. That, to me, are his resume. But what I'll say is this, going back to accountability. If I'm these players now, any of them, I'll exclude Judge, but any of them, and I show up to the ballpark, and I know regardless of whatever I do, the manager's going to come out in the post game with his bullshit quotes. We're fighting. We're, we're grinding. We're getting there. Ba, 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 ba. The other night, J.J., the bottom of the lineup went 0 for 15 with 10 strikeouts. They, they lead the league in double plays, and Boone comes out and says, well, that's a good thing because that means there's men on base. I mean, get the fuck out of here, dude. These guys aren't being managed by a leader. This is where you need a leader. They're being managed by a middleman. They're being managed by a robot. Call it what you will on this team, okay? Are they the best team in the league? No. But there's fucking talent on this team, and they don't have a leader that's getting the most from his players. And that's a big fucking problem. Anthony, you're not wrong, my friend. You're not wrong. I heard that quote Saturday morning waking up to play golf. 
The great Jacko sent it my way. I didn't even hear Aaron Boone after the game. Thank God I didn't hear Aaron Boone after the game. Can you imagine sitting there and lecturing the media and lecturing the fan base and saying that hitting into a double play is a good thing? Bro, are you serious? When you lead the league in double plays, make it outs on the bases, you're last in run scored in the American League, but oh, it's a good thing. We're trying. We're getting better. You know what Boone has a lot of? He really tries to be a wannabe Joe Torre. Have any Yankee fans noticed that? He played for Joe Torre in 2003. He's raved about the leadership quality of Joe Torre. I feel like he's trying to be a wannabe Torre. Well, I got news for you, Aaron Boone. You're not Joe Torre. You will never be Joe Torre. Enough. Enough. Enough, enough. I can't take it anymore. Anthony's right. They need a leader. Now, they're flawed. And Cashman's got to take heat for that. The Yankees might decide, and they should, if they stink this year. You know what? We need a new direction across the board. We'll have that conversation in October. But right now, what I am seeing on the field, this team should not be this bad. They shouldn't be this bad. Something's got to give. Something's got to change. Base running lapses. Defensive lapses. No accountability. They don't have a leader of men. You know, that's what I love so much about my football coach, Brian Flores, right now. He is a leader of men. Everyone in that Dolphin locker room knows. Flo's our guy. We ain't messing with Flo. He loves us, but he's going to hold us accountable. Held the rookie quarterback, who's the number five pick in the draft, Accountable, because he didn't play well last year. said, I, I don't care what the optics are. We got to win. I got to respect that. Boone, on the other hand, it's like, you know, we're babying everybody. Coddling everybody. I think Jacko said it the other day. I didn't even notice it when we were having the convo. The orange slices and the pat on the back. I mean, the Yankees have gone soft as an organization. I, I'm sorry. And I love them. And I will continue to support them. They've gone soft. This team has really left a sour, bitter, disgusting taste in my mouth. That's real talk, okay? That's real talk. Ugh. Again, if I ran the team, Buck Showalter would be managing on Tuesday. And I'm a showman. You guys know that. Tell me Buck wouldn't take this job. I don't buy that for one second. Last but not least here on the Yankees. The Yankee calls, of course, naturally. And Fuego, who's up next? What up, JJ? Uh, Tatum from Miami here. Just hitting you up because I'm missing, missing Park Slope, missing the hood, missing New York sports. Um, but there is nothing worse than watching fucking Aaron Boone coddle and hold his team, professional athletes team's hands as they suck and can't score a run for Garrett Cole, who even though he sucked last outing, still is the best pitcher in baseball. Aaron, light a fire. Where's the savages in the box? Where's that guy at? Bring him back. I don't know. It's frustrating, but hey, JJ, hope you're staying cool on those runs. Uh, great listening to you. Stay safe. Aiden, I appreciate the tips, first of all. And Aiden follows me now on Instagram, so he's been giving me some runner's tips as we try to go through the summer and trying to stay cool and getting three, four, five-mile runs in. I can tell you this. They're executed a lot better. The one I'm seeing out of the New York Yankees. And 
It's going to be hard to find Yankee fans that are in the corner of this manager. And this general manager, who I think in many ways has been Teflon for the better part of 15 years. And you know what? The Yankees had every reason to believe and trust Brian Cashman and what he was selling and what he was doing. Rebuilt the team on the fly. Got him into championship contention. But now they went from contention to falling further and further and further away over these last two years. Yankees played 60 games last year. They've played over 60 games this year. You know what they've been over 120 games? A mediocre baseball team. That is no longer a small sample size, folks. Proof is in the pudding. 120 plus games that have been absolute dog shit. That's real talk. Sooner or later, somebody's got to be held accountable. And if not, shame on the Yankees. Shame on the Yankees. Because we deserve better as fans. Case closed. With that payroll, with these expectations, we deserve better. Well, that was therapeutic. So we did all the Yankee stuff right out of the gate. I needed that. So now that I got that off of my chest, thank God. Thank God. We could actually get to something that was entertaining to watch from a New York sports standpoint. And I could go one or two ways here. I'm going to do the Nets, though. I'm going to do the Nets. I'll save the Mets and the Islanders for a little bit. But I'm going to do the Nets here because they win game one. They lose James Harden. And yet they looked absolutely unstoppable from an offensive standpoint. The ball movement I saw in game one against Milwaukee was nothing short of exquisite. That was a thing to behold. And listen, I'm not going to hide this. I'm rooting hard for Milwaukee. I might have had a couple of shekels on Milwaukee in game one. I got to eat that. I got to own that. Even though I think Brooklyn's going to win the series, I just figured, all right, Milwaukee's going to get a split in one of these first two games. And the minute Horton went out at the end of the first quarter, I'm like, wow. My four and a half or three and a half, whatever the hell it was, was sitting pretty. But the Nets were fantastic. And I think for Brooklyn, in the absence of James Harden, they have enough offensive firepower. It changes the way that they're going to do things. I don't think there's any question about it. It means Kyrie Irving, for starters, is going to handle the basketball a lot more. But listen... Kyrie has played plenty of games this year without James Harden. That's number one. Number two, the thing that you like for Brooklyn is that they have a bunch of different scoring options. Joe Harris is lethal from beyond the three-point arc. Guy hit five threes. It's been a godsend for Brooklyn this year. How about the corpse of Blake Griffin? giving you 18 and 14 and going 50% from the field and hitting four threes in the process. That is gigantic. Getting some big-time minutes out of a guy who looked totally shot at the beginning of the year. James played well. Claxton has given him good minutes. Brown has given him good minutes. If there's a benefit, potentially, to Brooklyn having this weird, chaotic year in which, you know, a whole lot of guys have missed time. Maybe it's the fact that these role players can give you a little bit more. And are ready and able, dare I say, to go and give you a little bit more. But now it looks like Brooklyn, no Jeff Green, don't know his deal yet. And Horton's going to be out game two. And 
Who knows what the deal is going to be for James Harden in the remainder of this series? Lakers series should have told you something. When you got star players who were injured, timetables can be very, very tricky. Just look at Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Now, LeBron was right. As right as he could have been. Davis, on the other hand, they tried playing him. I mean, game six, you could tell two, three minutes into the game he was totally shot. Brooklyn with a 1-0 lead, I think he's going to be cautious with Harden. I don't think you will see him in game two. There's a good chance you don't see him in game three. And who knows what his status may be for the remainder of this series. But I think the question a whole lot of people are going to be asking around the NBA. Can Brooklyn win this series without the beard? I still think they can if they're going to play and execute and perform as well as they did in game number one. That's the key. You know, Steve Dash and Mike D'Antoni love good old-fashioned ball movement. That ball was a humming around the court. Trust me, it's tough for me to say these things. But I give credit where credit is still. Jam-packed show. See? A little positivity. Got to give somebody a little bit of love. We'll do that actually later on in the show because the Mets are doing a wonderful job. The Islanders are doing a wonderful job. There are teams in New York that are actually performing. My baseball team, on the other hand, that's a much different story. We got more voicemails coming up. We're going to welcome in an old pal of mine. We did television many moons ago on a show called The Thread on SNY. My long-lost pal, the internet sensation, Worldwide Wop, Rob Perez over at FanDuel. He's a media superstar. We'll get his take on what's going on in this Netbox series and some Knicks and the rest of the playoff landscape, which to me is wide open right now in the Western Conference. What a time to be alive. LeBron James getting ready for his dopey new movie and some new blood out West. I love it. Wob's coming up next. So let's welcome in a guy that I used to see all the time at SNY. And of course, we didn't get a year to do television when the Knicks were like the most fun they've been in like, I don't know, 15, 20 years. The media superstar from FanDuel, NBA media extraordinaire, Worldwide Wob. What's happening, brother? Going on. I remember there was a time last year when we were on SNY doing TV in which we brought Ian Begley on and he and us had to do the all decade teams for the New York Knicks. That's the type of content that the Knicks that you could all you could do because the season was over at that point. We were sitting there coming up with a team in which Raymond Felton, we decided, was the best point guard of the entire Knicks decade. And we were on TV for that, like having to stretch the content as far as it goes completely just to fill 30 minutes. And of course, this season during the pandemic, uh, we're not on television and it's the best, most fun next season since many of us have been alive. Uh, are you still bummed out about the series against Atlanta? I kind of accepted it, Rob, more than anything else, because I underestimated the Hawks, quite frankly, going into the series. I, I didn't think they were as good a team as they were. Trey Young ate the Knicks' lunch. They had shooters galore, and, you know, the Knicks squeezed every last ounce of talent out of them, and they just weren't that good of a team. So I'm kind of, like, over it, excited for the future. But is this series now something that's, like, keeping you up at night, curiously? No, I even before the playoffs started, I said the Knicks have to find a way to avoid the Miami Heat and the Atlanta Hawks. And I, I eventually picked the Knicks in seven, but the only reason why I did that was because I figure if they protect home court, knowing the way Madison Square Garden would show up, and boy, did they show up, uh, that may have been enough to get them to a game seven at home. And we know anything goes in Madison Square Garden in a game seven. 
So that was certainly my um, mindset going into the series. But yeah, like this Hawks team is was better at every single aspect of the game than the Knicks were. Every box they checked, except for the home court advantage. Uh, they had better players, taller players, faster players. They were better at what they did. Randall couldn't get a clean look for what felt like an eternity. Uh, and Trey Young is even now, just after this game one in Philadelphia, you see just how difficult he can be to guard. And I, I went into the Knicks season, man, thinking 500. My preseason pick was if the Knicks win 500, I would sign up for that right now. It would feel like an absolute miracle. And look where they ended up. So we were playing with house money then. This team was not good. Are you kidding me? You have Alec Burks as the New York Knicks, Scotty Pippen? Like at some point, that's going to come back to bite you a little bit. God bless the Derek souls. Rose trying to put the Superman cape on, Wob, like it's 2011, for goodness sake. Yeah. I was the most cautiously optimistic Knicks fan because I was in the trenches watching every damn game. And I knew that they were bringing this game seven intensity every single night. And just from someone that has watched every single dribble of every single game for the past seven plus years now, I know that playoff basketball is a different sport than the NBA regular season. So when you play a team that is better than you and they end up matching that same intensity, which was the biggest reason why the Knicks won so many regular season games, uh, talent always shines. There are no flukes in the NBA playoffs. That's why they do four out of seven games. So it was not a surprise to me in the very least. And I did not lose a minute of sleep over it. You and me both. Now, Randall stunk up the joint in this series. Atlanta obviously did a good job on him. Maybe Randall put a little bit too much pressure on himself. Does this change at all? Wub, how you would view him for the future? He balled out. He was the most improved player in the league. But after this playoff series, do you think differently about how you're going to pay Julius Randle? No, I think you got to pay the man. At some point, you got to pay somebody. And you're building something here in New York in which you're trying to attract free agents who haven't come to New York because there is simply no talent there. I don't want to go play for a team that's going to win 20 games, whether I'm there or not. And you pay Julius Randle that type of money to have him in-house. He's going to be all NBA. You and I and anyone listening to this could probably agree that Julius Randle's absolute ceiling peak is probably a complimentary star to whoever the main guy is. And that's in regards to winning a championship. So Julius Randle could be the best player on your team. I just don't think you'll ever win the title. There are a lot of people probably think that's an insult too, but I can name the Kyle Lowry's of the world, the Dwayne Wade's who won a title when they decided to become the Robin to another Batman, Kyle Lowry with Kawhi Leonard. Dwayne Wade with LeBron James. They were at the absolute best of their careers when they became the number two. And for Julius Randle to look at that rim and in his way was John Collins, DeAndre Hunter, Clint Capella standing on the block cheating because there was no reason not to. Uh, that's American gladiators to get through to the rim. He simply needed more creation alongside of him to take the pressure off of him. And I don't know many guys out there other than one of maybe five players that if they're on your team, you're guaranteed to be in the title conversation that can take on a one-on-three like that against one of the league's best defenses uh, and come out successful over the course of a four to seven game se series. You can play well for like one game, but to win a series asking that from that man, I don't care how good Julius Randle was this season. It, that was never going to happen. I said this the other day, whatever it takes to get Dame Lillard. I'm not going out on any sort of limb by saying that, love. That goes without saying. I, I think I'd give up basically anything close to the firstborn for Dame Lillard to be a New York Knicks because I love that man's game. He's a badass. He's an assassin. He's so much fun to watch. Let's assume Lillard is not a Nick, though. Let's live in the real world because, unfortunately, we are here. Who would be your number one 
free agent target for this team, assuming they can't get Lillard? Yeah, if, you, if you're listening to this and think the Knicks have any chance at Damian Lillard, please keep dreaming and please keep having your kids. If John's willing to give his firstborn, like there's going to be plenty close. of kids. Have. Close to it. Close yeah. to it. All right. Uh, that's more than likely never going to happen. So, but free agents do become available and there have been many disgruntled stars in the past. Who's the next James Harden? Who's the next Jimmy Butler that forced his way out of Minnesota? Could Carl Anthony Towns potentially be that guy? Bradley Beal's contract is coming up here at some point. If we're speaking about this very offseason coming up this summer, it's the slim pickings. You have to assume Kawhi Leonard is probably going to stay in Los Angeles one way or another. He's probably off the table. And then it goes down to the likes of DeMar DeRozan. Uh, Gary Trent Jr. would be my personal pick because the Knicks have money to spend and they need a combo guard that can score, that can start and play defense and not be a liability. Derrick Rose certainly did that in this series, but I mean, I mean, are we riding him for 38 minutes at this point in his career? I don't think so. In a dream scenario for me personally, the day that Bradley Beal becomes available, I would do the very same as you. My potential firstborn or whatever you said, yeah, of course, I'd be willing to, to do that to get Bradley Beal in house. Nets box. It's such a weird dynamic, Wob, because listen, I live here in Brooklyn. You see Nick Hats all over the place. The net hats, the fans don't want to admit this. They are few and far between. But yet, from a national perspective and a basketball perspective, this is a hell of a series. It feels like such like an afterthought in New York City because of what the city just went through with the number one basketball team in town. But this is the team that has championship aspirations. They couldn't have looked better in game one. And that's without James Harden. Is that sustainable, you think, for the remainder of this series because of KD and Kyrie? Or is that in a... An off-night type deal for the Milwaukee Bucks. Combination of both. I mean, KD and Kyrie are so good. I, every time the ball leaves Kevin Durant's fingertips, it feels like it's going in. He, well, that man, ball movement, Wob, it was exquisite. I mean, holy moly, exquisite. And the conversation is always about the big three, which is Harden, Kyrie, and Kevin Durant. But how soon do we forget that Joe Harris is, without a doubt, the best catch-and-shoot, wide-open, three-point shooter in the entire NBA, at least statistically? And he's out there getting nothing but open looks because you have no choice but to leave him open when Kevin Durant's got the damn ball down around the rim. You have to give him that type of attention. They have great chemistry. They get away with Blake Griffin playing center. It just doesn't matter. They have way too much offense. But on the contrary, I've made this point a couple of times, but I bear, think it, it bears worth repeating. And it's that if you lined up every single human on earth, JJ, against a wall, and you did a schoolyard pick, of three guys that you could choose to guard KD, Kyrie, and Harden. The three guys that I would pick currently play on the Milwaukee Bucks. That's Giannis Antetokounmpo, the reigning defensive player of the year, two-time MVP, one of the only humans on earth to guard, to actually block Kevin Durant's jump shot, which he did in that regular season game, the second one, I believe, that was went viral. You have P.J. Tucker, who has played alongside Kevin Durant at the AAU level at Texas. He's also been on the same team as James Harden. He knows all their moves inside and out. He can guard positions one through five. He was playing center for the Rockets during the bubble last year. So he's my next pick. And of course, Drew Holiday, who amongst the players is the consensus best on ball defending point guard in the entire league. They match up there beautifully. But when Mike Boonholzer does this thing in which he gives Giannis Antetokounmpo in the first quarter his normal rest, then he yanks him again at the nine minute mark to give him another four minutes. The Nets bulldozed them in that time that Giannis came out. Enough 
of this Budenholzer given 33 to 35 minutes to Giannis. If he's not playing 42 plus, they're not beating the damn Brooklyn Nets. And that's because Giannis has to be the best player on the court for both teams included. And we know who's on the other side. So I'm tired of seeing Connaughton. I'm tired of seeing Bryn Forbes, Drew Holiday, and Bobby Porters at center. That team existed at one point in time in the second quarter of that game one. These rotations were as blasphemous and as much of a malpractice as Doc Rivers benching his big three today when they played the Atlanta Hawks. So that can't happen again. I think it's an outlier game for the Milwaukee Bucks. They'll figure it out. They have the talent. They have the defense. Uh, They got to make shots, and Boonholzer can't mess them up. So, Wob, you're sponsored by FanDuel. This show, of course, is repped and sponsored by our friends over FanDuel Sportsbook. I am seeing the line for game two, Milwaukee and Brooklyn. Milwaukee is a a one-and-a-half-point dog. I like Milwaukee to get it done. No Harden. This line has moved about a a point-and-a-half. I think the Bucs will be victorious in game two. You riding? They're certainly due for a bounce-back game. And Kyrie and KD, no matter what their box score stats say, I mean, they were on one, to say the least. And, uh, of course, you think the Bucs are going to make the necessary adjustments with that rotation and their matchups, making sure they always have one of those defenders on the court to assign to Kevin Durant. I couldn't believe it. Kevin Durant came in the game, and then Giannis came out. They're the same way that uh, in the Blazers-Nuggets series, Terry Stotts would bring in Nurkic and take him off to mirror Nikola Jokic's minutes. We've seen that. Kawhi Leonard would do the same with Luka Doncic at the end of the Clippers versus Mavs series. You're, if I'm Budenholzer, I am matching every single minute that Kevin Durant is on the floor with Giannis. And if someone can give me an explanation as to why that's not a good idea, maybe Giannis has an injury we don't know about and he needs to be on a minutes limit because that's the only one. And even then, everybody is hurt in the postseason. At some point, you got to empty the clip. And with Boonholzer, it always feels like you didn't, you didn't, you didn't like live to your full potential. The sense I get, I know you well, so I'm trying to read you here. I'm not a good poker player, Wob, but I'm trying to read you here a little bit. It seems like you like Milwaukee in this series, but you have fears about Boonholzer screwing it up. Is that fair? I I do, and this is not the first time it's happened. I mean, Budenholzer has been on the hot seat for quite a while just because even Milwaukee Bucks fans know the talent that's been on this team even before they brought in Drew Holiday and P.J. Tucker. Uh, These type of offenses in which they were five out, zero in, and then Giannis would be funneled into the Jurassic Park Nick Nurse Toronto Raptors defense. They got figured out in that series. They were up 2-0. They lost 4-2, four straight games. Boonholzer is notorious for not making those necessary adjustments and his offense now, which includes a very high pick and roll. Everyone knows what's coming. He's got the talent and he does worry me. So they could certainly pull off game two. And I think if Harden doesn't play in this series, they may have a chance of winning it, but man, it's tough to pick against that offense. I'm invested in Utah, full disclosure, to win the Western conference. I'm invested in Utah to win the NBA championship. Should I be feeling good about my chances as they get ready for the Clippers who slayed a couple of beasts, a couple of dragons? I, Wob, I said it the other night on the pod. I said, they're going to win game six and lose game seven. But when I saw everybody and their mother betting Dallas today, I said, mm, this has Clippers by 10 written all over it. Because, listen, these casinos don't build themselves. Jazz, Clippers, Suns, Nuggets. Who's coming out of the West? I've got the Clippers winning the whole thing. And now that they oh, you have the Clippers winning a title now. How about that? I, 
Yeah, I, I make my picks before the I do my little March Madness bracket and I have or I had and currently have the Clippers facing the Philadelphia 76ers in the finals. And that the 76ers are a conversation for another day. But to answer your question, the reason why I picked the Clippers and in this series specifically against the Utah Jazz is because there was a moment in time this season in which the Jazz went on a 22-game winning streak. It seems like an eternity ago, but it is something that existed. And eventually that streak got busted, and a big reason for that was the Miami Heat. And in that game, what they did, Miami Heat, very similar to the way the Clippers are built, in that they have a whole bunch of swingmen, 3 and D, uh, guys that can switch any pick and roll, and you feel like you don't lose anything. And the reason for doing that is if you play a team Example, the Utah Jazz that runs a high pick and roll. We all know what's coming with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. You surround them with Ingles, Royce O'Neal, Bogdanovich, Mike Conley, and you spread the floor and you make their lives a living hell. But what the Clippers have an advantage of, and they showed it to you down the stretch playing small against a team with two seven three seven foot four guys on it, is that we are more than happy to scramble out to the perimeter and run you off the three-point line. Royce O'Neal specifically, Bogdanovich and Ingles, they are catch-and-shoot elitists. They dominate when they can catch and shoot. But the moment they have to put the ball on the floor, that whole Utah Jazz attack changes completely. So if we're talking about Terrence Mann, we're talking about Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Morris, Paul George, even the likes of Rondo, Nick Batum, they have a stable of guys that can go out there and guard that perimeter especially with Zubats, who didn't play much in this Maverick series, will be matched up with Rudy Gobert. You can almost cancel them out on the offensive side, but I trust the Los Angeles Clippers defense and all of those guys with some crazy length uh, that play the swingmen position to be able to contain that really, really special uh, Utah Jazz three-point attack. Final one. And you think back to the trade that was made a couple of years ago with Luka and Trey Young. And listen, Luka had a magnificent series against the Clippers. Basically averaged 35 points per game. A lot of Hawks fans are probably wondering, am I getting my bang for my buck with Trey Young? Now you start to see the answer is yes, you're getting that. And then some. Can you think of a trade, Wob? You're a good historian in the NBA. Where we're looking at two, like, all-world, unbelievable guys getting traded for one another, like, real early in their careers. Like, you know, I'm thinking of like Antoine Jameson and Vince Carter. I think these guys are going to be. No, no, I, I know you like that reference as the Tar Hill guy yourself. Antoine Jameson, decent NBA career, but I, I, I think both of these guys have star written all over them. I can't think of an example of, dude. Yeah, so they traded down. And remember, they also got, I believe Cam Reddish was a part of that trade as well, who was going to be a very necessary part of that defense and what the Atlanta Hawks do. So you do have to include that. But if we're just speaking in terms of Trey versus Luka, they're both stars. You can even maybe have the conversation about superstars in the very near future. And uh, Luca putting up what? He's played, let's see, seven plus six. He's played, what, 13 or so total playoff games in his entire career. And I think he scored 40 points in like five of them. I mean, the sample size and all the numbers are ridiculous. I mean, they're ludicrous. The, the scoring the most amount of points at the youngest age in playoff history, there's a stat for Luca. You can make up stats and you can find 10 of them that exist for that man and how quickly he has proven himself in the playoffs already. So there's no question there. But of course, Trey Young has always been the, well, it, when is he going to influence the game like he did at Oklahoma? He's undersized, you know, all these excuses and reasons. And let me tell you, that man is very quickly turning into the point God. Uh, he looks to be the valedictorian of Chris Paul Academy 
the way that he manages the game, even letting the ball roll up the floor to waste time is very Chris Paul-esque. But his commanding of this offense and knowing the rule book, bending it as far as it goes without breaking in terms of foul hunting, he's just playing by the rules. He's not the one blowing the whistle. It's on the referees to blow the whistle or not. And he's creating that contact himself. And we need to have the same conversations that we have with Trey that we did about James Harden, right? A lot of people don't like James Harden because he's not very aesthetically pleasing when he was on Houston. He did a lot of those Trey Young things and swiping, ripping through and falling over. But uh, that's, you know what? They don't boo nobodies. And Trey Young is as good of a villain as anybody out there. And he has, you got to be able to back it up too. You can't just talk the talk. Uh, he has certainly walked the walk. Thanks for doing this. How's the jump shot, by the way? Is it where it needs to be? Uh, currently, I I mean, I haven't played a game of basketball since last March. When and that we was your thing, team. bro. You were playing like every weekend. I was wow. playing, mul- playing so what multiple is the, times what a week. Is the, what has the COVID activity of choice then been for Worldwide Wob? Played a lot of baseball and I played a lot of tennis, believe it baseball. or not. Baseball? So, you playing baseball? Yeah. I, I was, like, what, you shagging flies in the outfield? You playing yeah. third base? Well, during quarantine, they they put the stuff on the rims that like that you couldn't shoot. So I had to find a way to go get exercise. And I was staying up here with my dad, and he would just pepper me ground balls, and we'd play for two hours. And before you know it, I was playing different positions and hitting and stuff like that. So it's very sandlot baseball, maybe not professional, you know, nine versus nine. But uh, yeah, picked up baseball. I'm a good second, real good second baseman now. And I'll take anyone anytime on the tennis court. Wow, this is this is like Jordan making a switch, going to <laughs> baseball in 1994, 1995. Who knew? Wob, love you, buddy. Thanks for doing this, all right? You got it. Good stuff with our dude, Worldwide Wob. Coming up next, the Mets do what they need to do in San Diego. Didn't look like that was going to be the case after Friday night, but you gladly take a split. The Islanders being even at two apiece. See, there are good things going on in the New York sports world. We'll come right back. So we have one baseball team in town totally underachieving. Stinging up the joint, the Yankees. The Mets right now continue to find ways to win. And I had a bad feeling, quite frankly, about this series in San Diego. They had a tough loss on Thursday night. They get shut down by Blake Snell on Friday. But in comes Jacob DeGrom. And I've lost the adjectives, the superlatives in my vocabulary to describe his brilliance. I think Mike Francesa said this on the podcast back in mid-April. I'm going to reaffirm it, though. Pedro Martinez, 99-2000, is by far the most dominant starting pitcher I've ever seen in my life, and I have to take into account the steroid era and the fact that you had guys like Bonds and Sosa and McGuire and you, you name the Palmero just rooted up out of their minds. And Pedro made him look stupid in the regular season, in the postseason, in the All-Star games. It was just insane to watch. And I couldn't stand Pedro, but it was insane to watch. Outside of Pedro, DeGrom is the most dominant starting pitcher this stretch that I've ever seen in my life. The guy's throwing 101-102 with ease. He has a point. 6-2 ERA for the season. Let that sink in. Jacob DeGrom's ERA in the middle of June is .62. 
That's as good as it gets. It doesn't get better than that. You must enjoy every second of what you are watching every fifth day. As good as Garrett Cole is for the Yankees, it's not even close. DeGrom is so much better. And it's so much better than any pitcher in baseball. It's not worth discussing. 0.62 ERA. He does a fabulous job. The Mets get some hitting from the likes of Peraza and Billy McKinney. It's nice to see Lindor giving you a spark, hitting one out of the ballpark on Saturday night. These are good signs for the New York Mets. But on Sunday, you needed to back it up with Stroman. And to Marcus Stroman's credit, pitched beautifully. Even helped himself out in the process after making an error in the field, bounces back and hits a double down the line. And for the Mets, with this ragtag group, to go to San Diego against the best team record-wise in the National League and go and find a way to get a split, outstanding stuff. Outstanding stuff across the board for the Mets. And the story is simple. Why the Mets winning games? They're starting pitching. Has been lights out. Not just DeGrom. Walker's been pretty good. Stroman has been outstanding. Peterson has not. But those three guys have really anchored and have gone about their business in a tough, light way. Met bullpen. Met bullpen has done the job. And you've had enough out of this everyday lineup. You look up and down the lineup and you're wondering, well, how are the Mets scoring runs? It's different guys every night, but they're chipping in, they're doing their part, and it's complimentary baseball. The Mets are doing a good job of playing complimentary baseball. So they're in first place. They got a ton of guys on the injured list. They're six games over 500. You come back after this road trip, you feel really, really good. Now the schedule is going to get a lot tougher. There is still a long way to go. Long way to go in the National League East. Because the Atlanta Braves are starting to put it together a little bit, despite their flaws and despite their problems. Starting to put it together a little bit. But if you're a Mets fan, six over 500, first place, three and a half games with this group, you got to feel great. Another team you're going to feel really good about after what you saw over the weekend. New York Islanders got a lot of heart, man. You talk about a team that squeezes every last ounce of effort out of what they bring to the table night after night, that's Barry Trotz's boys. They're down two games to one. Their backs are up against the wall because they're not winning three straight games in the series. They're not as talented, point blank, as the Boston Bruins. But the Islanders, they know how to fight. They come out, they feed off that crowd at the Nassau Coliseum. Barzal scoring late, and he has shown up in a big way. You're going to need him to show up in a big way if you're going to win this series. You add on a couple late, and you got a game five in Boston where all the pressure in the world is on the Boston Bruins. Varlamov couldn't have been better the other night. Could not have been better. Gritty team, tough team, they're going to be tough out. Still expect the more talented team to find a way. And if you're the Islanders, here's my advice. Get game five. Because I do not see them going on the road and winning a game seven in Boston. If you're going to win this series, I think you have to get it done tomorrow night. I think it's as simple as that for the Isles. 2-2 in this series. There's a significant underdog. You would have taken that. You would have run with it after the first game in this series.
wouldn't have thought twice. So that's going to be a fun game Monday night. Islanders and Nets taking center stage. Monday night in New York City. Strange times indeed. Let's get back to the voicemails. They were rocking on the Yankees. Let's see what else we got. What's going on, John? This is uh, Stuart from Brooklyn. You know, the fact that the Mets held, held their own uh, against the Padres, you know, tells me that, that, this, that this team is, is for real. And not only did we go, you know, four and three on this road trip, the amazing thing about it is, is that we're in every game with, with these uh, bench players. Now, John, now how many more starts do we give Peterson until we raise the, uh, the white flag? It's been very hard and painful, you know, watching himself implode just about every other start. It's just like the second coming of Mets. You know, great start, then downslides. Uh, hopefully, management is considering other options. Stuart, I know you're not in love with David Peterson. The hope is, though, reinforcements at some point are on the way. Whether it's Carlos Carrasco, whether at some point it's Noah Syndergaard, you're going to have a reinforcement or two stepping into this rotation. Now, Lugo's got to stay right where he is in the bullpen because Lugo makes this bullpen that much better. And it's amazing the Met bullpen has performed the way that it has without getting anything from Lugo until this past week. That, to me, is a great sign. And I'm with you. The fact that the Mets have been dealt so much adversity, have missed so many guys, and yet sit here six games over 500, first place in the National League East, I think all in all, they're in a pretty good spot. A lot of work to do. Schedule gets tougher. But I think in a very, very good situation. Who's up next? What's going on, JJ? Sergio from Connecticut. Just finished watching the Mets finish up this series against the Padres. Um, real positive, man. I know the Mets have had one of the easiest schedules, I think the easiest schedule in baseball. But I was really hoping for a split with the Padres, and we pulled it off. Uh, Stroman pitched amazing. DeGrom shut it down. And we were one or two bounces of the ball away from making this a 3-1 series win or even a 4-0 sweep. We were in every game. In every game. I'm excited about the Mets, JJ. Hoping that we could get the two wins against the Orioles, who are a bad team, and end this uh, road trip with a 6-3. 6-3 and is a great road trip, especially on the West Coast. Let's go Mets, and uh, hopefully James Harden comes back because they, they're going to need him. The Bucks aren't going to miss a million three-pointers every game against the Nets. So let's go Mets, and let's go Nets. Thanks, JJ. Little giddiness out of you. And I can understand why. Your baseball team's playing a good brand of baseball. And maybe it's more eye-opening to me because I'm watching so much bad Yankee baseball night in and night out. The Mets, they're getting a big hit. They're doing the little things. The pitching has been exemplary. They got more sizzle to them at this point in time. They just do. I feel good about where my baseball team is at. And you've gotten basically nothing out of Lindor. Lindor, though, over the last week has shown some signs that he's about to come out of it. He's been terrific in the field throughout, but he's starting to hit the ball with authority. He's using his legs. He's making things happen. I'd be encouraged by what you're seeing out of Lindor. And you're right. You got the Orioles for a couple games, beat them up, and then you play the Padres again over next weekend. And I think the Grom will be going to one of those games. So when he's going, you expect to win. You also expect the Mets usually not to score a whole lot of runs. But they score them three, four. Forget it. Game set match. Who's up next? Hey, JJ. This is Jesse in Santa Cruz, California. Wanted to give you a call. I watched the Brooklyn-Milwaukee 
game one yesterday. Um, and to me, Milwaukee looks like about the most incompetent team I've ever seen. Um, they can't make the adjustment. They refuse to play the right way. Every time they throw the ball into Brooke Lopez, it's a massive mismatch. Anytime they get Giannis in the post, it's a massive mismatch. And they continue to give the ball to Giannis up top, let him run point guard, let him drive into four guys, let Middleton go run point guard and drive into four guys. The only guy who should be running point guard uh, is Drew Holiday because he can get into the lane and actually create. And the other guys need to get on the block and take advantage of the opportunity they have to expose Brooklyn's small players. Um, I don't know. Am I overreacting? Am I seeing something wrong? I mean, they just seem so incompetent. And how does this happen after year after year of the same mistakes? I mean, it was so obvious five minutes into the game where they had the advantage, and they just continue to go down, take bad shots. Bryn Forbes is jacking up terrible shots. I got no clue. I, I, I was blown away by the stupidity. What are your thoughts? All right, thanks, JJ. Bye. Jesse, I can understand that. The problem is when you can't get stops on the other end and Brooklyn is moving it as well as they are moving it, you tend to fall into some bad habits. And maybe you almost feel like you got to force the issue from beyond the arc. I would agree with your assessment. I want to exploit Brooklyn down the wall. Giannis has the size to be able to do so. Now, he's not Joel Embiid, but yes, that is where I'm looking to exploit Brooklyn's Weakness defensively. I'm not going to overreact necessarily one game into this series. I expect that Milwaukee will take better shots in game two. I think they'll hit a couple of more threes. This is going to be a lengthy series. That's kind of a sense I've had throughout. I expect Milwaukee is a little bit of a spoiler alert, but I think Milwaukee is going to get game two. And I think this will probably be a 2-2 series, heading back to game five, and it's going to be anybody's to go and get. Like, I don't think this is going to be a four or five game series. Oh, how can you? Especially if James Horn's going to miss some time. But those adjustments for Milwaukee, I think they'll be glaring and they'll be obvious, you would hope, going into game two. Who's up next? JJ, Isaac from Prospect Park, calling in about my Brooklyn Nets yet again. You know, I could sit here and uh, gloat about the Nets absolutely demolishing the Bucks in the first game of this series, even without the services of James Harden. Or, you know, I could gloat about uh, your New York Knicks getting uh, gentlemen swept against Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to extend the olive branch and say, you know what? All you Knicks fans should hop on board of the Nets bandwagon. Let's watch Katie and Kyrie bring a title, an NBA title, to the great city of New York. Knicks fans, Nets fans, let's unite around the common goal of a championship for New York City. Later, JJ. Love the show. Ivan, I love you in Prospect Park, but I feel like you've been hanging out with Andrew Yang too much, who's our buddy, and he came on the show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, no, you're not going to get me to do that. I don't think you're going to get a majority of New York Knickerbocker fans to do that. I appreciate the olive branch. I'd be more than happy to buy you a slice of pizza at L&B's or Lucali. Lucali got to get a pie. That's how they roll over there. You also got to wait online for two and a half hours, but I'd be more than happy to extend that olive branch. And I've run into a bunch of big New York, New York people in the neighborhood the last couple of days. I love it. If you see me in the neighborhood, say hello. You know, I don't bite. I might be in a hurry to get my coffee or to, you know, get to the golf course 
or to get ready for uh, yet another riveting New York, New York, but be sure to say hello. Got stopped this morning. I looked like absolute crap. The hair was all over the place. I'm wearing flip-flops. I tell you this, the heat beat me down on Saturday. It's town so early Sunday. I would have loved to have gotten out there to play 18. I said, housework, chores, and cleaning will have to do. As I make a little money and lose a little money on these NBA games in the process. Oh, baby, who's a holler? Who's on the horn? Who do we got? What up, John? It's Mike from Stanford CT. Um, and I want to know, I love the low-post players that the Knicks have right now. You know, Nerlens Noel, I mean, he's made some state, he made some statement blocks this season. I mean, just sensational plays that really, like, that, like, sealed wins in, like, an emphatic way for us this year. So I love him. I love the toughness that Taj Gibson gave us. I would love to have him back as well. And I think Mitchell Robinson's way too talented to let him go. So, I mean, I really want all three of them back. So I want to ask you, who do you think is going to be down low for the next, next season? Let me know, man. All love. Love the program. See ya. That's a great question. I think the Knicks like Nerlens Noel and Taj Gibson a lot. Remember, they're getting Mitchell Robinson back. I think they're going to try and figure out the guard spot first and foremost, though. So for me to look into free agency at this point and say, all right, this is where the Knicks are going to address front court needs, I think the more glaring need is the guard spot and adding shooting to this team. And then I think the front court is more of a secondary need. That's the way I'd kind of handicap it. You star searching first and foremost, and that means you're calling Portland basically every day about Damian Lillard. I, I, I think with the Clippers now showing some chutzpah and, and actually showing some balls and winning game six, coming from behind against the Mavericks, and then winning game seven and going away fashion, I could have told you when everybody and their mother was on Dallas today, and I know I said I would be typical Clippers to lose game seven. I saw that line today. I was like, the Clippers are winning this game by 10 plus points. Because 70% of the tickets were on Dallas and the line didn't move at all. I mean, that was as obvious, as glaring as it gets. That said, I'll worry about the front court for the Knicks after I get a big-time guard. So that starts with Lillard, and then maybe you transition to Lonzo Ball, Chris Paul, etc. Last but not least, who's up? JJ, Sean from Long Island. How we doing, Floyd? Let's go, baby. We've asked for it for so long. Finally, the alarm clock went off from Matt Barzell, taking over the game, hopefully taking over the series. We're forced by the Islanders from the Collie crowd. So happy they're coming back for at least a game six on Wednesday. So fucking pumped, dude. Hope it's been a great night for you as well. Let's go, Islanders, baby. Varlamov, he's back. We are in this thing. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's go, Islanders. Peace. I love the fired-up Islander fan. I think about the great Carver High. Mike Carver, I think about Kevin Connolly, I think about James in Oakdale, I think about Joey Alosio in Staten Island, I think about these diehard Islander fans that have been beaten down for so long and now letting it all hang out. Oh, it's great to see. It's great to see. You know, if I didn't have plans on Wednesday, I'd be out at the Coliseum. I, I, I would have loved to have gone to a game at the Coliseum. So maybe the Islanders take care of business and you guys could get me out there for the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm, day, I'm game. I'm in. Let's do it. But long way to go. So here's what's on deck during the week. The Yankees are playing the Twins. I mean, if the Yankees can't beat the Twins, then I mean, the Yankees can't beat anybody, though. And they can't hit against anybody. So I mean, 
Normally, nothing cures their problems and their sorrows like the Minnesota Twins. That's usually the perfect remedy for the Yankees, but I can't even tell you with confidence that will be the case. I just can't. Nor can I tell you that the Yankees are going to go and make any changes. I'm telling you what I am going to do. I'm hopping all over the Sixers series price after Atlanta won game one. And Atlanta was up by like 25 plus points. Philly, I think, was just flat and lethargic to start the game. They started locking down on Atlanta, and it, it was fun to watch the way they were getting after it in the fourth quarter. Bonjanovic killed them, though. I mean, that guy hits every big three note to man. I know Nick fans don't need me to tell them that. And he hit the dagger that turned it to a six-point game when Philadelphia had all the momentum in the world with about a minute to go. But I'm betting Philadelphia, who was minus 200 for the series, I bet you get them now at like 130, 135. If it's lower than that, pounce, pound, I will be. All over the Sixers series price. I'm going to give you another one. I like Phoenix minus one and a half games against the Denver Nuggets. I do not think this is going to be a seven-game series. I think Denver was able to take advantage of a hapless, pathetic Portland defense that couldn't guard me or you. I think Phoenix will get after it on defense. I think DeAndre Aiden, not that he's going to hold his own against Jokic. It's tough to hold your own against Jokic. Jokic is going to get his. But I think the likes of Booker and Paul, a couple of days now removed. Johnson, Crowder, they're going to they're hit their three-point shots. I think Phoenix will win this series in five or six games. So I'm going to take Phoenix at plus money. Plus 115, minus one and a half games. We're also taking Milwaukee in game two. Milwaukee's only a one and a half point dog. I'm not taking a one and a half. I'll take them on the money line. Give me the minus 105 right now for the Bucks on the money line. Public is pounding Brooklyn. That line's gone down two and a half points. Sign me up right now. So Suns, minus one and a half games for the series. Six to series price. Get it whenever you can. Nets going down in game two. I got Milwaukee minus 105. This series is going to be tied a game of peace. Those odds, of course, powered by our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. Let's see what our guy Jeff Money has in store for a Monday card. Money! What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. This is going to be for Monday, June the 7th. I got two games here. I'm going to go with both the NBA games. Money play, we're going to take the Brooklyn Nets minus the one and a half over the Bucks. I know even though we don't know the status totally on hard. On Harden, I still think uh, the Nets are going to pull off that victory. In game number two, I like the Phoenix Suns minus the four and a half over the Nuggets. They've been covering when they've been winning, so we're going to flow with that. All right, JJ, again, I'm going to take my money play with the Brooklyn Nets minus the one and a half. I'm going to go with the Phoenix Suns minus the four and a half. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Money, I love the Phoenix logic. We are heads up, though, my friend, for a little Monday night action. You'll be rolling with Brooklyn. I'm rolling with Giannis and the Bucks in game two. We have a pod coming your way Tuesday night. Tuesday, Thursday schedule. Maybe we'll mix in a locker room over the weekend. I don't know. I thought about doing one Saturday night, but I'm going to be honest. I was too depressed. So we'll have a bonus locker room coming up on one of these days. Uh, I had too much fun on there. Uh, I love the folks over at FanDuel giving us an odds boost. Great job on that. So Rudy, fabulous work. Hopefully I'll be in better spirits on Tuesday. I hope this is rock bottom. I need this to be rock bottom. JJ, signing off. Be good, everybody.